This is the Distinctly Detroit Podcast, the only pod that explores why one wants to be in the D. I am your host, Fiota Ship III, director of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. Join me as I interview students, scholars, leaders, and innovators about living, working, and loving in Detroit. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Distinctly Detroit podcast, the only pod that explores what makes one want to be in the D. We get the opportunity to interview fascinating leaders, innovators, and students who are doing incredible work in the city of Detroit. We get to learn about what makes them live, work, and love the city of Detroit. Today's guest has had quite a journey. He was an intern for the United States Department of Labor and the United States House of Representatives. He was also a research fellow for the Congressional Black Caucus. He received an undergraduate degree in political science at Temple University in Philadelphia and a master's of public policy degree from the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. He is originally from Washington, D.C., now resides here in the city of Detroit, serving as the Community and Resident Services Manager in the Office of Detroit City Council Member Raquel Castaneda-Lopez. Welcome, Jai. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate, you know, this is my first time doing a podcast, so I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to really dive in, get into the questions, and thank you again for having me. Yeah, no, we're really excited to have you here. As I said earlier, you're originally from Washington, D.C. Tell us what it was like for you growing up in D.C. Yeah, so um, born and raised in Washington, D.C. Dad was born and raised in Washington, D.C. Mom was Richmond, Virginia, so we're DMV, you know, through and through, Northwest. I, I had a really good childhood. I think about that a lot, you know. I, it's... Pretty, pretty consistently. I went to good schools, you know, both of my parents were, were all, have always been very loving and um, my grandparents have always been around and um, very loving and, you know, we had a, a, a nuclear core in DC and I didn't really like venture out too much. I think I was a little bit of a bubble boy in that respect. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I settled into places of comfort and didn't explore a little bit more when I was younger in DC. But uh, as I was growing up and, you know, you have transportation that's readily available to you with the metro, the bus and train, there's not a place you can't go. Uh, by the time I was of age 13, 14, I was getting around, you know, traveling throughout the city a little bit more, uh, whether it was be like for, for sports or whatever it might have been just for fun. Growing up in D.C. and as, you know, we were chatting before this, too, and you've asked me a little bit about the changes that I've seen in my neighborhood and uh, a little bit and beyond, and I'm happy to dive into that more because I like seeing parallels between where I grew up, where I went to school, which was in uh, Philadelphia, which I know we'll probably jump into a little bit, and now being out in Detroit as well, and kind of seeing the the differences or the similarities between the cities uh, and their populations and their challenges. Well, that's amazing that you brought that up because that's actually my next question. What are the parallels you see between D.C. and Detroit? Yeah, for, for DC, it's that, there are very few that I've actually seen. I think culturally, my dad would say this to me growing up, there's Washington and then there's DC. So Washington is the place that people will ask you what you do before they ask you your name. Whereas DC is more wholesome, it's more um, family oriented, neighborhood oriented, community oriented. And I think that aspects of DC is definitely in Detroit. Now I'm in District 6, I live in District 6, I worked in District 6, and within the whole District 6 community it was even more 
segmented in a way where the communities got tighter and tighter and tighter, which I love, but also poses some challenges too that I've, that I've noticed in my role. As far as transportation, as I mentioned before, having the metro and bus readily accessible to you, you know, you could be 13 in DC and there isn't a place in the city you can't go. Not to say you can't do that in Detroit here, but obviously still the focus on cars and I'm, you know, we're seeing conversations still about implementing more of a rich bike culture and uh, giving more funding to DDOT as well. Uh, but the, there are big transportation uh, differences between DC and Detroit. But, oh, I kind of skipped away from this, but with Detroit too, I've noticed that there, there's, with the snow, there's this like <laughs> slow period that I get the sense that a lot of people appreciate because summer can be go, 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 and you try to fit everything else in while you have the time and, and the weather to do so. Um, but then there's this period where I think there's naturally everyone understands that we're taking things slower, you know, holidays start to kick in and people become more family oriented. I think around the city that I've noticed in, in my short time here too. So those are just some of the few. I could I could take the whole podcast and talk about that <laughs> those two things. So yeah. I know you want to get into some other stuff. Well, being that your time in Detroit, one of the things I find unique about about you or really why I wanted to pursue you to be on the podcast is because you're from D.C., you went to school in Philadelphia. Um, you could be anywhere in the world. I mean, you got a, your master's degree from the University of Michigan's Ford School of Public Policy. I imagine you had ample opportunities to go anywhere. Uh, what prompted you to choose Detroit? I didn't have too many opportunities. That's, that's the weird thing. At least it didn't feel like, and the media didn't feel like it. Mm. But maybe I was a little narrow-minded about like my search, but my partner was has grown up in Detroit, and she worked for the city too, the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation (DEGC), and now works for Wayne County Economic Development, uh, their department. So I would be, I would get in trouble if I didn't say she was the, the first reason, <laughs> but she is, she is. Um, but also, as I was, you know, May was coming around the corner when I was about to graduate in 2019 from the Ford School. And as I mentioned, I'm a, I was a bubble person. I love my comfort. So where did my first mind go to around going to live and work again? Like many, if you think public policy, you just go to D.C. There's, and, but D.C. is oversaturated with people like me and degrees like mine. And I kind of wanted to push myself and grow a little bit more. I didn't want to go back to what I knew because uh, I knew that if I was just in something you know, more routine, I wouldn't have been able to, to, as I mentioned, just grow more. So being out in Detroit... Being in a new city, um, I didn't get out here when I was in Ann Arbor a lot, so I wanted to learn more about the city and its people and its history. Um, so in short, you know, really just simply to try something new, be in an, another major Midwest city that I know was rich with history and uh, has its challenges as well. And I wanted to find some way to be a, a piece to the puzzle to help solve at least one of them. So in your time since you, that you've been here in Detroit, you've worked directly, you know, for a city council person. So. Yeah. Uh, you've had ample opportunity to get a feel for the lay of the land. So what do you make of Detroit politics? Yeah, so when when I was in the role with Councilmember Castaneda Lopez, and she says she likes to run her office like a nonprofit, which was new to me, you know. I think she is not the, the packaged politician that a lot of people expect, uh, given her background. So she wanted much of how she had operated with uh, people-oriented politics or policy, and I, I didn't focus too much on the politics at that point because as, as important as it is, I didn't want that to cloud the work that I needed to do to make sure somebody you know, got the legal dumping picked up out of their house or um, got the pothole fixed on their street. 
because uh, that was my main concern. But you specifically asked me about the politics, so I'll talk about the politics. What I noticed from the, the jump, I would say the first, let's say four to six months of my role, that there was a lot of points of contention within council that had nothing to do with politics, it, or I'll say it had to do with people politics, personalities. As we transitioned from in, in person to Zoom, uh, or virtual, I should say, work from home, I'm looking at the council meetings and I can like, when someone's speaking, I can look directly at somebody else and see how they really think about it because it's written all over their face, <laughs> over a camera. Um, and you can tell when somebody agrees or staunchly disagrees with what someone says or how someone says something. And there was actually a point in time in council where there, it was very contentious and I felt there were racial undertones of it being uh, very honest where, and I, I'm sticking up for my former boss, that I think there's some isolation being the only Latinx, only non-black uh, council representative in a majority black city, which is important. She recognizes her space and all of that, but it's a tight rope that she had to walk to. And I think sometimes she wasn't given the benefit of the doubt that she was really trying to, to continue to learn, but also not shy away from being a, a good ally. I think that was especially in the midst of you know what was happening or, uh, during the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, that that string of very, I mean, emotional and and um, difficult times, especially for Black and Brown people last summer, yeah. you know. And I think councils across the country and but specifically in Detroit had a real opportunity to say to to hone in and say what what's going on here because we don't want this to happen in our city. And I mentioned this time too because it was very contentious for all of the offices because uh, there wasn't really a unified statement and that's when a time when a city, of the blackest city in the country, I think needed some sort of unity behind the Black Lives Matter movement. So that's just one aspect I, I noticed around the people politics and city council and we're seeing you know news articles pop up about what, what's going on with a couple of council members and what's happened to previous council members in the last two years. So I think folks are looking for, for fresh faces, fresh ideas, and, you know, plain and simply, just end the sliminess, you know? <laughs> plain and simply, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it is politics, so I don't know how much of the sliminess you can get rid of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but taking a step back, um, what led you to pursue a career in civic engagement? Yeah, so I, I've always enjoyed, well, let me take a step back, actually. I, I think that I, like I kind of got civic engagement from, and this might sound weird, but like working at a summer camp, mm -hmm. um, I worked at a summer camp with, you know, all ages, but there was something about working with you know, rising first and second graders, so six, seven, eight, and quite honestly, seeing that you're putting a smile on someone's face, and it might be small to you what you're doing, but it's impacting someone's thoughts, feelings, and hopefully their lives. So on a more grand scale, when I was in college and I was working or uh, uh, interning um, at a a nonprofit that was focused on literacy and engagement and education engagement in schools in South Philadelphia. I think like you, you get a warm feeling, and it might sound like a little self-serving. I'm trying not to, but it it felt good to do good, 
and I wanted to continue to make sure that I was aligning with work and aligning with people who had similar ideas as me, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean they don't challenge me. But on a core basis, there's certain things that I need the people that I work with to think around certain populations that we are, some, some have had historical struggles that are no fault of their own. And I need, I want to work with people that understand that and dig deep and ask really hard questions about why uh, certain areas look the way they do, why maybe certain people act the way they behave, because circumstances can force people into actions that might not be typical. So for civic engagement, why did I get into it? Um, I, I, I want to just, again, as I mentioned before, I kind of want to just be that one puzzle piece to help push the needle forward in some way. And obviously, needle, they fluctuate. There will, there will be some movement backwards. But as long as I see a trend, and I can be a part of a trend of things going forward, then um, I'm going to be satisfied. Cool. So how do you go about winning the community's trust? When I was with the council member's office, the one thing you had to do, and I'm still learning today because, you know, I'm on a podcast about Detroit, but I want to be very clear, like, I'm continuing to learn about the city through you, through other people through the city as well. So that, I think that was the first part, like, knowing that I'm not from here and a lot of folks here really ride for their city. So they do not take kindly to somebody coming up into their space telling them what they need to change, how they need to change it, why they need to change it without stepping back and listening. So I know in my role, when I was in early listening sessions, early community meetings, I'm literally sitting back, I'm taking notes, I'm introducing myself that I'm a part of the council member's office and um, you know, thank people for inviting me into to their meeting. Over time, people, and I think I've, I've gotten this, this, this I, I hope, level of respect from many community members that they say, that they got to a point, Jai, what do you think we should do next? But I didn't get to that point without stepping back and listening to how they want to push for you know, cleaner air, how they want to push for cleaner streets, how they wanted to push for lack of blight in their neighborhood too, because they're the experts of their, their neighborhoods and you have to grant them that, that title before, well, I learned. Uh, I had to you know, learn that that was their title, that was their role before I could step in and give give my, my two cents. As I was reviewing your bio, one of the things I noticed is that when you were working for Councilwoman Castaneda Lopez, that part of your work was the census and dealing with voting rights and voting access. So I was curious to know what is your view on the voter suppression or what people are calling voter suppression actions being taken around the country as different states are passing laws as a result of you know, as a result of their disappointment in the results of the twenty uh, last election. Yeah, and I no, it's it's it was something very new to me when I was when I got to the office, because you know when the last census in twenty ten, I was in high school, I wasn't a part of it at all. So now being an adult and understanding the importance of the census and understanding the real impact, the financial impact it makes on cities, I knew that the community engagement portion of it was so critical. So. I got to learn a lot about what the census was from the census team with the city, um, how they plan on getting folks, uh, I don't want to say, filling out, completing their census, uh, but also for voting as well. But specifically the voting, because that's, that's going to continue to be, people will say, like the civil rights topic of our time, among many, of course. I had to kind of push myself a little bit to think, okay, these, these systems of suppression, um, they don't go away, they just evolve. And 
what we had seen in the 60s and in the 20s, how are we seeing the evolution of suppression today? Because it's not going to go away because that suppression benefits certain people and, and certain parties. So I think within the city itself, I would love to see an effort with, from the clerk's office to be, and maybe I just haven't done enough research yet, but to me more forthright about educating voters about what is on the ballot, not just be the city's record keeper, but also be the, the, the leader in partnering with community organizations and block clubs to make sure well in advance who folks know who's on their ballot, um, making sure that they have all the information they need um, prior to voting as well, making sure that voting is accessible um, to everyone, regardless of their ability as well too, uh, because I know that that has been a challenge that I've heard from folks in um, you know, the differently abled community too. And I mean, Showing, showing some gumption, you know, I, I think, as you mentioned, what's going, happening nationally and what's happening even in the state of Michigan, how, you know, the, the black and brown vote is, is, is targeted to um, very surgically, you know, finding ways within the city that we can, that we can combat that, you know, mail-in voting is going to become more popular, I think, you know. I personally like going into the actual poll, get my little sticker, but not everybody does. Everybody wants to maybe, for whatever reason, they, they vote a particular way. I don't care how they vote, just vote. You know, it, it matters. It really does matter. It really does. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think it's exciting, um, hopefully, with, with this, new, this new council, that that will be um, a top issue to, to work with the clerk's office and work with organizations to make sure that even within locally, we can get the participation rate of folks voting above 10 and 11 and 12 percent. Because I think historically around council and mayor election, that's kind of where it sits. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to take a, a citywide effort. But I think we can do it. You know, got a lot done accomplished in, in other yeah. areas. It's funny how you keep leading me around my questions. I love it. But uh, what are some of the other challenges you faced around grassroots organizing? You mentioned earlier about establishing trust, things of that nature. What are some of the other challenges you face? Well, the language barrier for one. So um, one of my former colleagues, Hanan, who was on the team, was very close within the Arab American community within um, District 6. Um, I don't speak Arabic. So when she left, that was a big hit to our team, I believe. And we had to find a way to, um, I don't speak, I speak a little Spanish, but not enough to say I speak Spanish. Uh, and you know, if you know District 6, you got to know that you are interacting with a large Latinx population. You're interacting with a large Arab American community population. And you just can't neglect them. You know, you just can't neglect them. So the language barrier, for one, was a challenge, I would say. I'm probably too, too much of a novice to say this in the community activist space. But the fatigue hit. You know, there were times where you're like, man, this this thing that I need to get done is just not getting done, you know, and it's really, it's really hurting somebody, you know, specifically in my role when I was thinking about blight and um, some of the abandoned homes that have been burned or, you know, left for neglect and folks are calling the office about, you know, this home on one, two, three, whatever street. And it's, it's I know it's an issue that's, that runs deep in the city um, uh, around, you know, conversation around use of space and how we use uh, space from uh, homes that have been demolished. But, 
you know, it 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 really sucks to tell people sometimes from uh, that their issue wouldn't get fixed for like another two three years, especially something like demolition. Um, so that fatigue kind of hit me of telling people because I, I I didn't know what more to tell them because there's a lot of back end processes that are obnoxious but make sense. You got to get the right contract. You got to make sure they have good labor practices. You got to make sure you know there's um, environmental quality and inspection done before you, like it's it's a big chain before you that house actually comes down mm-hmm. i know i'm getting into the weeds of yeah, it and no, you probably I'm, don't care too much no, but, I, but it's 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 really making me think about because a neighbor really doesn't care about all those things they just care at the end of the day about getting that building yeah. down and i understand that i mean i just can't call and say knock this house knock, down yeah and they come yeah knock it down exactly I'm, that's I, not how it works and and, and it and it shouldn't be because you know there's legal issues where someone goes wait a minute i owned that house yeah. Like, you owe me some money now. You owe me some compensation. So Wasn't I get thing? it. They knocked down a state senator's house without her knowing. Wasn't that Where? a big thing in the news in Michigan? That was a big um, thing in the news. They knocked down a state senator's house. And they didn't know? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I did hear about that. Yes. I did hear that. Yeah. I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. no. So, but we, yeah, you can't go just knocking things down and then asking questions later. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I think that was one of the... That, that fatigue of, of telling people, even if I, I was delivering bad news, I'm glad at least I was delivering news because so many times, so many people had, hadn't heard from their offices. Um, you know, I, I've had people tell me, wow, you got back to me. Like, I'm surprised. I'm like, what? That's kind of, that's what I get paid for. That's what your tax dollars pay me to do. So um, it's really unfortunate that, you know, that's what someone told me. But that was just a couple, I'd say, the challenges I, I faced. And... Again, you, you worked for the city council member. So how do you manage the relationships between community members and community leaders? Like that find that balance or, you know, how do you speak truth to power about what's going on in the community or translate the difference in viewpoints between leaders and community members? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think I have an answer, but I want to make sure I'm, I'm getting no, you. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, you know, you go out in the community, you're yeah. hearing issues from people, getting direct, you're getting phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have to bring something back to this councilwoman that, you know, either she can't really do anything about, may not be interested in, or, again, I don't want to paint it as, you know, that she's ambivalent to her, you know, constituents or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, how do you manage that, those expectations? Again, you talked about it a little bit, you know, people – call they want a house knocked down mm-hmm. and it's not, you okay. know it's going to take a year or two or three but you know you they're pounding and or we're not going to vote for Raquel again if we can't get this done yeah. so yeah. how do you work that out you know being a political aide i mean what's that like the friction between the two the actual leadership and the yeah. people that's a really good question because i mean it is a i think it is a, a conversation around capacity too cuz most of these offices are six seven person offices okay um, and you, it's, it's a challenge and you got to do this. I mean, in many different places you do, we do it in our own lives about prioritizing, we prioritize time, um, certain ways. And I think within the office, we had to prioritize certain, certain efforts, um, based on, I mean, pressure and, mm-hmm. and, and pressure works. So if, if there's a real issue, I'll give you an example. So the, uh, Fort and Dearborn street, uh, did you hear about that? That like the. I've been calling it a ground swelling. It literally looks like the street. Have y'all heard about that? Yeah. Sinkhole? Uh, not a sinkhole per se. Um, oh, but were yeah. they? 
I was they had they tore down a dispensary exactly. or something. Yes, yes. I saw that. So yes. so let's I mean if we're talking like issue like that, that's an immediate environmental issue that poses if you're living in the area you think a, a, a quick danger imminent, to imminent yeah. thank you imminent danger to you and your family so we had to respond to that and there were there are a lot of like stakeholders from the state and from the city and we can really control what we can control but you, you don't want to go as, as true as you know that is you can't just go telling people that because what the the way that will be interpreted i believe is that Oh, you're you're saying you won't get the job done for me. Well, that's not necessarily true. We like our role there was a lot of the communications and the councilman even backed, you know, vocally an effort to immediately evacuate the folks in the surrounding area to make sure it was safe before they, you know, stayed in their homes. But I think bringing issues back that in council you re, at least in my role you kind of rec you realize that there's a ceiling to the work, the flooding. Let's talk about the flooding a little bit. Yeah. That People were talking about FEMA and like, where's FEMA at? Why is FEMA not here? Like, is is President Biden gonna issue this declaration of this disaster? I'm like, we're we're city council. We can really control what council does. Yeah. I can't. I don't have President Biden, Vice President Harris's cell phone, you know, cell phone number. number and give him a call There's and no say red issue phone it. Yeah, the no. Is I wish there was. Okay. I wish there was. <laughs> it was difficult, like recognizing, because you go in and you're really ambitious and you have all this energy. I think. And you go in thinking, I'm going to solve X, Y, Z problem. And then you realize how complicated it is and complex. That doesn't mean you don't attack it. But you understand the complexities. And you have to get a little savvy about how you navigate those complexities to ultimately either get it done as fast as you can get it done or find some way to move in that direction. Thank you. So switching gears just a little bit, um, what types of efforts have you made or how do you go about engaging the youth in civic activity and volunteering? How do you kind of motivate them to get involved in politics? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I'm the best to answer it at this point, but I, because I, I, I want to give kudos to those in, in the area. Um, like I know like Congress of Communities, which is a local nonprofit in, in District 6, and they do a lot of uh, youth development work too um, around civic engagement. Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation, Detroit Action, you know, these are some, some really, uh, and I know this was about me, but I don't mean to shift it, because I just don't want to take credit for things yeah. that I don't think I'm um, in that space, like, fully in, but I will say it's it's something that I'm, I'm really happy to say that I'm seeing, like, in conversations with uh, my partner, her sister, who's 15 years old, and, you know, the way that high schoolers are talking about issues right now in a way I, how I was articulating when I was 15 and 16 years old too so um, and the way that they they use you know literally the power of their phone in their hand to to think differently think beyond what they were told um, and I think I'm excited to see that translate into votes if it translates into votes so that's I think that's my job too uh, I want to get into that space too of translating those ideas that they're seeing on TikTok or, um, you know, some because these platforms are being very political uh, and I and they don't avoid it. And I think folks embrace it. Do they embrace it? I'm not in college anymore. Is that still a thing? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, I sound old, but and so, in some senses, I'm a little out of touch. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I want to be able to get into that space to translate their thoughts and say, OK, or not translate, but help them get those those opinions that they have and turn it into get into a ballot 
at the end of the day. For those that obviously um, can vote at 18, but that doesn't start at 18. You know, you got to do that stuff early. I know my parents did. I knew they challenged me to think about what I cared about yeah. at a very early on. You know, I was vegetarian when I was seven because I didn't want to eat animals. My mom tells me that. She's like, you kept telling me, you know, eating animals is wrong. You know, so is that something I cared about early on? I enjoy chicken now, so I did take it. <laughs> okay. I regressed a little bit. So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's something I want to get in, involved into in, in that space a little bit more. How anyone cannot eat bacon, I just don't understand. It's, I've never, we never grew up doing that. Oh, my goodness yeah, we never gracious. Grew up doing that. I got you. So uh, we mentioned earlier that you, uh, you formerly worked, or you were formerly worked for uh, City Councilwoman Castaneda Lopez. Mm -hmm. What are you doing now? Yeah, so two weeks ago I started with Guidehouse Consulting. It's a consulting firm. Um, I'm a part of their state and local government sector work um, right now. So a lot of the work that they've been doing is around American Rescue Plan Act dollars with certain municipalities and cities across the country um, around how they want to spend their money, how they want to get money into you know community organizations' hands to make sure they're doing what they can do to help offset some of the um, effects that COVID-19 pose, whether that be literal uh, public health or um, economic, um, negative economic effects in, uh, effects in communities to disproportionate populations. So in a nutshell, um, I wanted to kind of move in a different direction because I wanted to get some high level, in a sense, high level experience with working with different areas too. Right now, like my, my work right now is centered with the city of Dayton, Ohio, and um, eventually take what I've learned from more of a bird's eye view and be able to apply it back in the city because um, I really want to be in the city long term. I really okay. do. But I understand for me that there, and I'm already starting to draw some similarities from things I've heard from and uh, in, in my new role with the city of Dayton um, tangentially. So uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am now. Um, it doesn't mean, like I'm still working in Detroit too uh, because it is a consulting role at some point, I imagine when our public health um, crisis, I think we still call it that in some sense, the pandemic um, takes a turn for the better, that I'll actually be going to the city of Dayton and then wherever, you know, my work takes me afterwards, if it's a different contract uh, or what, you know, to different areas. But I want to be able to apply bird's eye view approaches that I'm seeing in other areas and, and some more technical skills too. I did a lot of community work, which I love. But I wanted some more, you know, technical skills too, with working with Excel and being able to to be more well-rounded in that sense, because uh, I wanted to be able to strengthen up those skills. So that's yeah, that's where I am, uh, in, in in a nutshell. Um, but looking to return back to work for for Detroit too. Well, speaking of Detroit, we're gonna switch it up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. One more question. Okay, I can say I can see myself in five years here. I, I know I can I can definitely answer that. I would like to be back in council, to be honest. Again, uh, I think the, the fresh faces and the fresh personalities, I think is going to bring a new new energy um, to those in council and to those that follow council too. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's as good as I got right now. I wish, I wish, I don't think, I, I don't ever want to be a politician. I think I'm, I think I'm too private of a person. I kind of like doing the background work for them a little bit more. I don't want, I don't, not only do I not need my face on stuff, I don't want my face on stuff <laughs> too. So yeah, yeah, I think 
that's as best. I wish I'd give a better one. I try, I try to think <laughs> no. about it frequently. Like, no, you, so you have, this, you have this good way of answering the next question. As soon as, soon as Mackenzie asked you, I was about to be like, so do you see yourself running for office? No, no. I, I would like to be like, – I like being a part of the campaign world. I'd love to um, do that a little bit more. I've been so busy, so – but my friend uh, Gabriela Santiago Romero, who is running for District 6 for the, the councilwoman's seat, and District 6, I'm a big supporter of. Um, I think that – I know this is a plug here a little bit. <laughs> but I, I think that with her background and her story and the way that she sees people is very important in a position like council, any position that deals with money um, and influence. I think she is the, the right person uh, to be able to, to push – help push the city in a direction that can be more inclusive for for everybody as well, and you know, continue to to share this platform with those that have been that haven't had the privilege of having the platform to speak about their issues. So that was my quick plug. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Back to switching up, talking about the city. Where do you like to go in the city of Detroit? I like when it's nice out. I like to take my bike out to, to Clark Park, I will say. I remember those times last year, you know, during the pandemic, everybody's at home. A lot of people are at home, and I found some solace taking my bike out and just kind of biking around. Uh, getting out to the waterfront, I was recently downtown for talking food. I love Savannah Blue. Savannah Blue okay. is very, very good. has been very good to me in my stomach. Um, so uh, that's one of my favorite places, too, to eat at. Being in Southwest, I have I love tacos now too. So okay. uh, any place I can get out and you know get a good taco or two, I'll go to. Yeah, yeah. I need to I need to get out of side of, of District Six a little more. I'm not gonna lie. Um, okay. I got I'm not gonna lie. I got to do well, that. We're gonna challenge you a little bit, please. Uh, like I said, you you spent you went to Temple for undergrad, yep. so you got to hang out in Philly, which is a cool town. My sister and stepmother lived there. Mm -hmm. But uh, Coney's or Philly cheesesteaks. So I know, I know we talk about this coming in. So I didn't eat Philly cheesesteaks going when I was at Temple. I know, and I got a lot of side eyes for it. I was just like, for me, I didn't. I felt like I'd be real heavy, and like, I don't know, like, and I, I mean, like how I would personally yeah. feel. Um, so I'm just gonna defer to the Coney because I'm like, I didn't. Cheesesteaks weren't a, appealing. I'm not gonna lie, they weren't appealing to me when I was in. You did just say you just started eating chicken, so I, I, did, I guess yeah. steak is a big. It's a big, big jump. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of went through college not eating. Yeah, for the most part, not eating meat. I did fish, but I okay. I didn't really eat meat. Yeah. Okay. Dutch girl donuts or Dunkin' Donuts? Dunkin'. I will say that's the one thing. Like people in Philly love Dunkin' Donuts, and it was great because after an Eagles win, which didn't come often. So <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. They, they got a Super Bowl. I, I know. I know. They, they they hurt me. Someone would would jump through a screen right now and punch me from Philly. They heard me say that. But when they did have those Sundays where, you know, next morning they would win, uh, Dunkin' Donuts would give a free coffee away, you know, I was in line. I was in line. Yeah, okay. so I'm going to go Dunkin' just because they, they treated me well after <laughs> Eagles win. You have had a Dutch Girl Donut, though, right? One time. One time. Oh, one time. We got to talk to your partner. I know, I need yeah. to meet your partner. <laughs> uh, Fago or National Brand? I didn't know it was a, 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 like a thing thing until I got here, too. Yeah. And also, like, the whole pop soda thing, too. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's not the 1950s anymore. I don't call it pop. Like, <laughs> it's pop, man. It's pop. Uh, not, not to me. Not to me, but I'm going to go <laughs> Fago, yeah. Okay. 
And then uh, my last question, go-go or house? So I'm going to say go-go for roots purposes. House, so the house scene, I'm getting, I have a couple friends that are, are connected to the house scene in Detroit too. Um, so I'm learning a little bit more. Where was that? I was somewhere like two weeks ago where they were playing house music. I'm, I'm so bad. Like I don't even remember where I was at on the east side. And it's something like I, I want to learn the history like more about because it's it started here in like techno too. Right? Well, that's what I'm saying. So like, is it, am I using the is it house or is it EDM? EDM. 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 Okay. Yes. Okay. House See, is more Chicago. And then I guess I have more listening to do of it to do for house because all three or all two sound similar to me. So <laughs> there, there's probably an enthusiast that would probably tell me why they are different. Yeah. But no, nah, I should explore the house scene a little bit okay. more here, yeah. Good. Any last thoughts you want to share with our audience? This was the first time I've done this. This was a lot of fun. I will say that. You know, I really appreciate you you, you asking me to do, you know, the, the first podcast. You know, hopefully again in, in some capacity, I'd love to, you know, be on again. If you still find me somewhat interesting. Okay. <laughs> if I got a new story to tell, I'd love to tell it here. Well, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to come in, and we do a lot of different activities here at the Detroit Center where we try to involve both Detroiters and U of M community members as subject matter experts. I imagine I'll be calling you back to speak on a panel at some point in time. And, please, uh, please. Again, really appreciate you coming in. I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. I thank really appreciate you. it. And I want to thank my support team, Mackenzie Hewitt and Marlon Franklin. Thank you all for listening to the Distinctly Detroit podcast, and we will be back soon. Thank you for listening to the DDP. This is a production of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. You can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is directed and produced by Marlon Franklin, edited by Mackenzie Hewitt, writing contributions by James Neely and Florence Alexander. <laughs>